We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. By now, you know that I'm your host, Kel Dansby, here with the old man, Andreas Hale. And today's podcast is being brought to you by Blue Wire. Shout out to the network for bringing us this podcast to you on multiple platforms. Make sure you guys subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you guys listen to your podcasts. Old man, we are combining shows this week, boxing and MMA together, just because I feel like it's a crazy week. You have to go to Miami for the Zone show, which is on Thursday, because it's Super Bowl week, which just pushes everything back. So I figured the easy way for us to do this is to talk boxing and MMA together. And I wanted to start with a subject that kind of combines both, and that's Stephen A. Smith talking combat sports and his apology when confronted about his hot takes of combat sports yeah um man i mean this goes back to last week uh cowboy Cerrone gets knocked out by conor mcgregor 40 seconds obviously we're all shocked we it was a result that we kind of expected for the most part but then it was stephen a smith's insight that Cowboy folded like a lawn chair and didn't show up. And that really got people up in arms. Uh, obviously, Joe Rogan has said that was irresponsible. And this is something that I've talked about. I think you've done the same for a while. Uh, when we talk about people who don't know combat sports who add their two cents, and we kind of find this insulting. Uh, because if you don't know the sport, and you and you and especially when you make an accusation that somebody folded like a lawn chair or didn't show up, when we know Cowboy shows up at every fight, he just ran into a buzzsaw. 
it just seems really irresponsible. And then Stephen A. kind of doubles down on the criticism. And what he did, which I thought was strange, but we kind of talked about this last week with Tessa Blanchard. It was like he didn't even acknowledge what Rogan was talking about. He started talking about the 40 seconds wasn't enough for us to see what Connor had in the octagon when Rogan's criticism was about Cerrone, not Connor. So it's like, I don't know, man. I, I kind of need I, I kind of need people who don't understand combat sports to acquiesce and say, you know what? I was out of my depth and I may have been ill-advised on the subject. And I apologize to those who offend, I offended. And the reality is Stephen A. Smith is stretched too thin at ESPN, at your company. He's just, he's everywhere. And it's not his fault. They pay him all that money to do this. And people are like, well, you should know, but it, it's hard. So I can understand it. But to double down is, you know, and not even acknowledge what Rogan was talking about as the issue at hand, that's the problem. And, and more importantly, all these outlets need to start actually getting MMA and boxing guys involved. You know, I know Stephen A is a big personality, and that's why they use him. But you could see it was like a deer in headlights through most of uh, ESPN. It, again, this is your this is where you work, Kel, but you know it. It's like deer in headlights when they talk about the UFC. They're like, ah, Conor McGregor. I don't know these other guys. <laughs> and they try to figure it out. But it comes off as a, disingenuous when Stephen A. Smith won't apologize. And that that's my biggest issue. It's not the fact that he didn't know. It's the fact that he won't say that he didn't know. Yeah, see, so I agree. That's kind of like the key of it all, right? And his apology really wasn't an apology. It was an explanation, which it's clear that he's not sure why people are mad at him. But that shows he's not in the MMA space, right? So he doesn't know exactly why they're criticizing him. They think it's just, or excuse me, he thinks it's just because he's there. They think that they're upset at his mere presence, the audacity he has to even show up on an MMA telecast. That's what he assumes went wrong. That's why he was telling Rogan, like, look at the stats, look at the numbers, look how big it was. I personally think it was going to be that big regardless. It's because of Connor. They, they could have had Joe Schmo. They could have had the Schmo. On there talking about Conor McGregor on the pre-show and people would have tuned in. But Stephen A is a big name in the company. He does a lot of these things. We see him at boxing events. So he's not necessarily sure where it went wrong. So then what he was talking about was null and void. Because he didn't even touch on the subject of why people were mad at him. Conor came out, said as much. People were in his mentions like, what are you talking about? That's not why we're mad. And it boils down to... And... Not excusing Stephen A, not excusing anyone else at ESPN. Because, I mean, honestly, ESPN has gone out and got the best people possible, right? Like, Raimundi is incredible. Ariel is Ariel. They they went out and they tried to get MMA people and feature them. Ariel's everywhere. So there's people like that. But for these bigger fights, they try to capitalize on their bigger names. The core issue is... And it's a question I want to ask you because it might be wrong. But I think MMA and boxing to a degree are two of the only sports that really still get butt hurt about the mainstream latching onto their sports. Because Stephen A, people say what they want. He says as much misinformation about basketball, about the NFL. Kevin Durant has come out and ripped his ass before. Talking about he knew where he was going in free agency. Like, bro, I never talked to you. There's been these things with Stephen A. And a lot of the stuff is 
he has his persona from first take. He's just always in that mode. So sometimes in the moment, he does misspeak or it comes out wrong and he's, he's trying to treat everything like a debate. He's trying to say that next hot take. And MMA fans jumped on him for it. But he does this to everyone's sport. It's just MMA people got real butthurt about it. It's like it's a sport that never wants to go mainstream. Guess what? Mainstream people, a lot of them, say misinformation about sports constantly. I he is no different. I and this sport is no different. Uh, uh, How is this different than... Uh, granted, he, he attacked the character of Donald Cerrone, which is horrible. You never do that. You never say someone quit in any sport. That's a horrible way to go, so that's inexcusable. But misinformation in general and not knowing a ton about the sports... I don't know if Stephen... I don't think Stephen A. knows the X's and L, X's and O's of the NFL. He knows basketball X's and O's. But he was a very specific guy. He knew some NFL because he was in Philly. He knew a good amount following the Eagles. But he was always a basketball guy. But now he has to talk everything. So no, he's not going to be Ariel Hawani. And I think people have to come to grips with Connor fights specifically. You're going to get more of this. Other fight, now if he's doing this, a deep dive with misinformation and he's on TV during Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier too. All right, you know what? Let's... Let's kick him in the ass. But Connor's fights, it's it's mainstream. This is some of the stuff that happens with mainstream. Not this, to excuse him, but the reaction is like, come on. Like, it happens. This is why I disagree. Because boxing, the NFL, because they don't really talk about baseball on first take, right? It doesn't really yeah. happen. They touch on it, though. But the, the core issue isn't misinformation. It's not knowing the fucking sport. That's the issue. It's because Chris Broussard was killing rumors in the NBA for years, just flat out wrong. But it's a rumor. <laughs> it's a rumor. So rumors, being wrong about a rumor, yeah, we can kill him for it. But, you know, sources and all this crap, that's fine. You can be wrong about that. But when you don't know the core of the sport, like when Stephen A. Smith like doesn't know fighters' names, that's an issue. When you're talking that about is problematic. boxing. So it's, it's not like the NFL where, like, imagine if, if Stephen A. Smith didn't know the quarterback for the Ravens. If he didn't know who Lamar Jackson was. And let's not use Lamar because Lamar is super popular. Let's just use Ryan Tannehill. If Stephen A. didn't know his name. NFL people would freak out. He's a starting quarterback for the Titans. But this happened on TV all the time when people were saying Lamar Jackson should move to wide receiver. That, but like they never, they never cared to dig in the tapes and notice. You know what? This guy can play. He won a Heisman. Let me see if he can actually throw the ball a little. But like but no one different. cared to look. But this is different. Like this is the core of the sport is what he doesn't know. Like boxing and MMA are two sports where everybody can have a comment but doesn't know shit. Because we look at boxing and we go, appears like, man, that fight was boring. When they watched me with a fight, but it was like a master class in boxing. It's like it's boxing. It's, those are nuances in the sport because they're one on one sports. They're not team sports. And there's a lot more that goes into just, you know, like with MMA, there's jujitsu. There's there's, you know, grappling. You know, I, I don't know if Stephen A. Smith knows the difference between a wrestler and a, and a grappler. That's no, the I don't think many people do. <laughs> but that, that's the information when you're wrong about because let's Cerrone let, let, specifically. Is somebody, like, if you're going to talk about Donald Cerrone, you talk about how the man had six fights in a year, or you talk about the man always had, he's at the most post-fight performance bonuses, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it tells you the, the dude comes to fight. So when you make that kind of a statement, 
you look like a fool because clearly you have never really watched Cerrone fight. So it's 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 like I don't I'm not a big golf guy, and if you put me on and I start talking about Tiger Woods and how he mentally folded, like dude, who are you? I don't talk golf, <laughs> so that that's the problem with it. Like a lot of mainstream like. We cringe. But what happens when they ask us to talk golf? What if they give us a show tomorrow and say, yo, you guys are great at combat sports, but you guys got to come on here and talk all sports. We'll give you about five minutes specialty combat sports, but the rest of the 20 minutes you have on this half an hour show, you guys have to talk all sports. We'll be like, bet. We got basketball. We got football. But then you have uh, the Coco, 15-year-old in tennis, and we got to talk about that. You know what I say? I don't know shit about this sport. I'm not as well versed as some like I lead with that because my credibility is on the line. So if you ask me to talk about something, I'm going to be very clear that this is out of my depth. So I can talk about Coco Golf or I can talk about Serena Williams, but I can't talk about who's the 14th ranked tennis player in the world. And I'll be very transparent about that. And I think people would respect that. But when you're def- when you're defending a position that you know that we know you know nothing about, you look like an idiot. And again, Stephen A. Smith, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about Stephen A. Smith. I respect his hustle. I respect his grind. I disagree with him a lot of things. Kaepernick, for instance, and how he went about that, because he, he would never back down. He never backed down from his position. I'll dis- like, I can still disagree with you. So yeah. when it comes to that, like I respect the fact that ESPN pays him this big bag of money, and he's expected to talk about all these things. And there's only 24 hours in a day with travel. It's really hard to do the research on all the things that you got to talk about. But if you don't lead with that and you come out on television in front of MMA fans, this wasn't first take. This was MMA fans on ESPN and make this kind of a statement. You need to be man enough to walk it back because MMA fans are it's not that they don't want the sport to go mainstream. They want people to know what the fuck they're talking about. That's it. Agreed. <laughs> There's no pass for not knowing what you're talking about on a major scale. You can like I cringe when I watch ESPN first take when a skip and, and Stephen A. Smith talking about Mayweather Pacquiao. I cringed every week, but it was their show. Now you're we, on that we, show. We know how it. We know how I feel about those things. We, yeah, we talked but, about it on here podcast but when it was like, happening. I was like, ah. When you take your talents to their show, when you're on UFC land, that's their real estate. That's their tour territory. You best know what you're talking about. So you insulted a bunch of fans because not every, like, yes, the Conor McGregor pay-per-view is going to do very well. But not everybody that watches first take cares or gives a shit about the UFC. So if you have misinformation on first take, yes, on the main scale, but it's your show. When you're on my show, like when you're on Dana White's show or Joe Rogan, who's laid claim to that space for so long, respect it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's no... I, I didn't like the statement. He was like, I'm going to talk. Like, dude, you're out of your depth on this one, bro. You are completely out of your depth. Just apologize. Say, I, you know, like, and, 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 and acknowledge what went wrong. Like, he really just circled the wagons with his uh, two-minute Twitter rant about, you know, saying in ESPN's no- Like, dude, it wasn't because of you. Connor's Connor. It wasn't because of you. And then when Connor stepped in, yeah, you said, like, you know what? I've never really watched Donald Cerrone fight like that. You guys might be right. I apologize. Why is that shit so hard? It's really not, right? And then, yeah, the that's a huge part of it that you touched on. The hubris to say, like, yo, look at the numbers. Look at what I bring. It's like, that's cool, B. But, like, Conor was fighting. Like, do you not recognize how big Conor McGregor is? 
So that that was like a huge part of it where it's like, come on, fam. Like, you're going to ignore that the MMA community and casual fighting fans in general weren't going to tune in. So it was out of touch. It's just, again, not trying to defend him. Like, he's been off base a lot. And I think, you know, he does work very hard. And it's hard to keep up with all these sports. So it's kind of off base. It's like trying to tell him to touch touch on wrestling because he watched Hulk Hogan versus, I don't know, Ultimate Warrior back in the day. Or he knew, you know, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man had a feud. And then you bring him in and be like, yo, commentate on the Royal Rumble. He doesn't know much about that. So he's just trying to bring his flair to it. It's a bad position. And yeah, he, he misspoke. He should have talked down, clearly. If we're not experts in something, we don't pretend to be experts in something. And I think that's where his apology in general went wrong. Besides pulling the, yo, check the stats, the 50 cent line, right? When he loses, he's like, yo, check billboard. It's just like, okay, man, like that's off the topic. So I I agree. It's just weird because I feel like if anyone does this, Stephen, I, Stephen A aside, I feel like MMA is just kind of in that space where it's like, they don't want to get too mainstream, I, fan base wise. I don't think so, man. I think fans want to see it be mainstream. I just think they want people that can intelligently talk about the sport. That's all. I don't. I think the worst thing you can do, like as a longtime boxing fan before I started covering the sport, the worst thing you can do is get a big name to talk down on the sport when they don't know anything, or to railroad fighters that you that people love. Cowboy, they love this fighting. Like I said, oh, like yeah. I wrote in my piece, he's the Arturo Gotti of MMA. Like, no matter what, you know he's going to come to fight. Sometimes he's just, you know, outgunned and that shit happens. But when somebody from the mainstream comes out and says, well, he wasn't shit, basically, that's telling <laughs> the world that somebody that you've looked up to is trash or folded or doesn't bring it. And that's that's misinformation on a different level because you don't even, you don't know. I can guarantee you that Stephen A. Smith has probably watched... No more than two cowboy fights. That might be generous. That, it might be, but that—that's—I don't think it's people don't want it to go mainstream. I just think they want it to be respected. As a fan, you want your sport respected. Like I like pro wrestling. If somebody comes out there, when people yell that it's fake, it upsets me. And if you do it on the main stage, because it's like it's not fake. I see what these guys go through. They're killing themselves out there. You're discrediting what they do for a living and how they put their bodies online because you don't know shit. You got to walk that one back. You got to respect the game and people do not respect the game. That's true. I mean, there's nothing else to add to that. It's you got to respect it enough to do your homework and not just be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. And that's what it comes down and preface everything you say with, you know what? I don't know as much as Joe Rogan, which he said in the apology video, and gave Joe Rogan credit. If he would have said that that night, people might have been a little more lenient yeah. on his comments. It's kind of a little late now. He pissed off a wide audience. So it's really, let's see what happens when Connor fights again. Because either Stephen A is going to go on the Joe Rogan experience, and this is going to be one of the highest rated episodes, which is saying something, or... The next time Connor fights and Stephen A's back on the desk, he's just going to go off and triple down on his stance. Mm, we'll see. Which would be even worse. <laughs> like it, it, would, it would do no good. But those are pretty much the two options of the two things I see happening going forward. 
So kicking the episode off with Stephen A was great, but we have to talk about actual fights that happened. And to me, the biggest fight card of this past weekend was the Bellator card, not the UFC one. Even though both had fun moments, but the Bellator card was a little higher in my mind in terms of importance. We'll talk about Cyborg in one second, but first I have to touch on Aaron Pico came out, had a finish. He needed that win, right? He needed to breathe. The kid is still super young. Is he back on track or is this still just a blip in the radar? No, I need to see this consistently. Um, Aaron Pico was one of the most highly touted prospects in all of MMA uh, when he showed up. And the funny thing is, is, it's not him who's a better fighter. It's been AJ McKee. Uh, but a fascinating talent who's a world-class wrestler, a phenomenal striker. He just doesn't know how to put it together. He strikes when he doesn't need to strike. He doesn't wrestle when he's supposed to. Like, he just clearly, not even clear. he just doesn't, the, the IQ is just not there. The talent is there, but the IQ is just not. And we've seen, like, NBA players like this where you look at him, it's like, man, he can jump out the gym, he can do all these things, and then he gets on the court, and it's like, what? Aaron Pico's <laughs> like a first-round bust, right? Oh, he's not Some, a bust yet. No, but I'll, but I'll say this, like, all right, so you think about guys like Evan Turner in the NBA or, you know, or Derek Williams, who was the number two pick, competing with Kyrie Irving in, what was that, 2003, for the number one pick. Some guys just don't pan out. Some guys figure it out a little bit later. And they're never the superstar that they are expected to be, but they end up being decent role players. You know, Evan Turner ended up being a decent role player. He found out what he, he never was going to be the number two guy. Like, he, he never lived up to those number two expectations. Aaron Pico was a, a clear-cut first-round draft pick who had all the tools, who did everything right on paper, but in practice, he just doesn't get it. And he's still young, so I'm giving him time. I don't. I, this knockout is not him riding the ship. This knockout was him still doing what Aaron Pico does. He's still dangerous when he, when he throws his hands, but he still leaves himself open to get countered. So I need to see him put this all together. I need to see him have a fight where he's not just striking, but where he's wrestling as well, and where he's more controlled. He hasn't been controlled yet, and that's why he gets beat up. Because there's only two things happen with Aaron Pico fights. He either knocks you out or he gets knocked out. That's the only two things that have happened. We have never seen Pico like deal with a lot of adversity, come back and win. Either he's the opponent's overmatched, or he comes up there with his chin up and he gets caught. So I need to see more. He was matched up tough early for his first MMA fight. They kind of fell back a little bit, then they tried to push him again. Now you're at the point now where you got to say, you know what? He might not be championship material in the next two, three years. We might need the slow pace. We might need the Deontay Wilder this. We might <laughs> like seriously. He's not Anthony oh. Joshua getting world title fights in twenty fight twenty in like twelve fights. He's Deontay Wilder. He might get a world title fight in forty fights because he needs different looks. He needs to face adversity with like jujitsu guys and grappling guys and strikers and kickboxers. He needs to see them all before he can be pushed up the ladder. That's just reality. The kids, what is he? Twenty? Twenty one? He's got time. Yeah, I mean, that should have been the case no matter what, right? Like, it wasn't a point where he should have been rushed. And I feel, I think you said this after his last fight. They put him in there against people who were just a little bit too advanced for him in terms of experience. Maybe not caliber of an athlete, maybe not talent-wise, but experience-wise, they put him in there with some people who had way too much experience. And it showed. So now, I, 
I don't know. The kid is so young. I he's always look at guys like he's I look at guys like Robbie Lawler, who had it and then didn't have it for a second, and then caught fire again. And a lot of these guys that they brought in that were supposed to be these great wrestlers and all this stuff, they didn't have time to develop the well-rounded skills. And for some reason, Aaron Pico decided that he just wanted to stand and trade. I, I've seen him wrestle very little so far in his MMA career. Look, the dude has not had a fight that went past um, four minutes into the second round. He's never gone to a decision. Every single fight, except for one, was a knockout. And then the other one, the other one was a submission loss, which was his MMA debut. That's dude. It's he's twenty three, right? Which is still young. But I say that I've said this before. My concern is when guys come in and they're highly touted. Like you look at like a, again going to the NBA, you look at like a Kwame Brown, or or you look at NFL Jamarcus Russell, and you put all this pressure on them, and they fold. It's not the talent anymore. It's the desire and the the uh, the IQ. Like the ego may never recover. The confidence might yeah. be shot. That's my concern with Aaron Pico because he's twenty three. We can't continue to say he's young forever, right? Sooner or later, you have to mature as a fighter. And if you can't mature as a fighter, you're kind of stuck. And I'm worried now because he's he's what five and three now in his MMA career, and that's kind of pedestrian. Not to say he can't come back for it because, like you mentioned, Robbie Lawler. Who figured things out? But you gotta slow play this. Like they threw him in there with Henry Corrales, and then they threw him there with Adam Borix, who was a great striker and put him out. And nothing in Pico's mind in either of those fights looked at either of those fighters and said, "You know what? I could take these fools down." Because he can. He just didn't. Overconfidence, and now his chin. The chin never recovers. Might be true in this case. So I don't know. I'm not gonna say he's back. I still think he's a great talent. I just need to see his brains into the operation. I need him to be a thinking man's fighter rather than just relying solely on skill. Nah, that's fair. I mean, I thought it looked good, and he timed that combination very well, so his hands are getting better. But yeah, I would like to see him wrestle more. But I think, again, he can't be young forever, but he's on a good pace. And MMA is not meant for young people. So if he figures it out by 27, 28, I think he'll be fine. Those three losses, if it ends up being 15-3, and three, no one's going to care about those three losses. He just has to really put it together, and they have to put the right opponents in front of him and not rush him like they've done with a lot of the guys. It's just one has panned out, but they've rushed all of them, and we see these guys taking losses early. Um, someone else who took a loss, first in Bellator for her, was Julia Budd champion, 145. And she came in, I saw a lot of people not doubting Cyborg heading into this fight, but giving Julia like a, a real legit shot at keeping her titles. And it was apparent early that it was two different levels of athlete. Julia had size, right? So she was able to kind of physically impose her will on Cyborg a little bit in the clinch against the cage. But then she got tired. Because that took so much energy. And Cyborg picked her apart as the fight went on. Leading to the, what, fourth round? Yeah. TKO with a gut punch. That was just nasty. And then your favorite part, them showing the video of the corner reacting to Julia Budd. That's uh, tongue-in-cheek. Dre hated that they showed that. I didn't even hate uh, it. I just I felt bad because I laughed. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being honest it's, because it it's was, not as bad as when 
Connor knocked out. Uh, oh, who was it? Knocked out Aldo. Yeah. And the guy eats his hat in the corner. That's the worst shit. Dude, it's it's look, it's par for the course. I, I get it. Somebody's gonna win, somebody's gonna lose, and it gets really emotional. First of all, Julia Bud's husband is her in her corner. So there's a lot of emotion that's going on. So I'm watching as I'm watching this, because I think uh I can't remember the other trainer's name. Like he slams his head on like the steel gate and just kinda like falls out of out of view. And me, because I'm a kind of twisted individual sometimes, I was like, wow, this is a lot. And then I immediately felt bad because I was like, man, that's like somebody that look like that they love and they watch her get beat. Um for starters, I never thought Julia Budd had a chance. Because in order to beat in order to beat Cyborg, it's not grappling. You have to strike. And if you can't stand in the pocket when Cyborg comes in there with those wild hands like Amanda Nunez did, you're done. She's just going to overwhelm you. It becomes an avalanche. And that snowball just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because you have to make Cyborg respect your striking. And Julia couldn't do that. The only thing Julia could do was be physically imposing. And she, I mean, she looks phenomenal. That's the first time I've seen watched a Cyborg fight where the, her opponent was like bigger than her. Like physically yeah. stronger than her. But it comes down to technique. And Bud can do that with a bunch of other women in 145 division. He can strong strong arm them, throw them down, ground and pound them. But if you can't deal with Cyborg striking, because let's not forget, Cyborg is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Her ground game is not whack. Right? Like, no. she's got good takedown defense too. But if you can't do anything to gain that respect, and every fight st- starts, every round fight, uh, every round starts with two fighters standing up, you're going to have to deal with that shit. She couldn't get her to respect it. And then she kept throwing those kicks. I'm like, why are you throwing kicks? <laughs> like, you were, you were I mean, begging for it. that's all she had. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, there's, there, there was no way that I saw Cyborg losing this fight by, like, a decision. I just didn't see it. Like, as good as Julia Budd was, and it's, again, she was, like, in Muay Thai kickboxer. She's good. Cyborg's just a different level of ferociousness. And when the storm is coming, if you can't punch in between those punches, like Amanda Nunez took a step back and fired, put her on her ass. If you can't do that, you're going to get ate up. And she got chewed up in that fight. She'll be back. I don't know against who. She ain't getting that belt back. But she'll be back. <laughs> no one's getting that belt. So it's not like that's the worst thing to say. No one's getting that belt. Let's no. be real. That's Cyborg's belt. And we knew that heading into this fight. It's... It's not the same caliber athlete between Cyborg and the other women in this division. No. It's just not. And it really wasn't in the UFC. There was one person who can stand and trade with her, and that was Amanda. And we saw it Mm -hmm. once. They could fight again. It could have went completely different. Absolutely. So it's, it's one of those things where... Cyborg, okay, she got caught once. It could have went differently. She's become a four, not a four division champion, but she's become a champion in four different promotions. She's saying she's the Grand Slam champ. Something we assume Demetrius Johnson will do here in a second. Like, he's just running around collecting belts himself. So you look at Cyborg and her overall resume, the winning streak, which Amanda doesn't have that length of winning streak, and you put it all together, is Cyborg the GOAT? No. Because no. she lost to Amanda. Yes. Because not only that, 
Cyborg got knocked out by Amanda in the first round. There's been no rematch, depending on who you believe. It could be Amanda, it could be Cyborg, it could be Dana. Who knows? There was no rematch. The other thing that's involved here is the other woman who's been recognized as one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time, Ronda Rousey. And Nunez starts her. And there's the other woman who was a former champion who was recognized as one of the greatest MMA fight, women MMA fighters of all, all time, Misha Tate. Man, Nunez has that, like, she toe-tagged all of them. Cyborg doesn't have that. So I don't care if you've won. It's, 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 it's kind of like the Deontay Wilder conversation. I'm not saying Cyborg has fought whack competition, but I'm saying Deontay Wilder steamrolled everybody. ton of knockouts. Bodies racked up in the closet, just racking up bodies. Then he fights Tyson Fury. And it's like, oh, shit, it's a real fight now. So if Tyson Fury were to beat Deontay Wilder on February 22nd, do you go, well, Deontay had a longer knockout streak? No. Tyson Fury beat him. Tyson Fury's higher up. That's just the way the shit goes. I think Cyborg is an amazing talent, but without running it back with Amanda, you will have to be behind her. It's just the way it is. Like, dude, Manny Pacquiao lost to Eric Morales. Does anybody put Eric Morales over Manny Pacquiao? Because Manny Pacquiao lost. No. Yeah, no, no, by no means. But I see people putting Pacquiao over Floyd. Which is ridiculous. Because how, how do you do that? When Floyd, like, if Floyd beat Manny, so, and the thing, and yep. the reason why I use Eric Morales is because Manny went back and got that win back. If Manny never got that win back, then you might have a, a different kind of a conversation. Maybe. Depending on what Eric does with the rest of his career. But when Manny went and got that win back, hey, is, then you look at career versus career. But as Amanda and Cyborg were established women. In MMA, that was a huge fight, and a lot of people didn't think Amanda was going to win. She knocked her out in the first round. And without so much as anybody remotely close to Amanda's level, like, Cyborg would need to find somebody like Shevchenko at 145 to beat. But there's nobody that Cyborg can beat that's not in the UFC that's going to get her past Amanda Nunez. Not right now. Uh, future fight with Kayla Harrison. She beats Kayla. No? No. Because who was Kayla beat? No like the, one, it's just someone bigger than her, different division, she goes up. It's just Amanda's resume. Like, Amanda's got bodies on her resume. Like, when Manny was rampaging through divisions, he put bodies on his resume. De La Hoya. Uh, he went up and beat up Margarito. He beat Miguel Cotto. At a certain point, you start looking at those bodies, you were like, well, shit, I don't really care how many times he lost. He's beat Hall of Famers. The yeah. Floyd Mayweather argument goes out the window because Floyd beat Manny, and Floyd never lost. Whereas with Cyborg, now she has a loss on the record. And you look at Amanda, it was like, well, she lost to such such. But Amanda's beat everybody else that Cyborg hasn't touched. It's just kind of the way the ball bounces. The people, they, they kept like banging that drum on the Bellator broadcast that she's the GOAT. And I'm like, dog, she got, do y'all remember? The shit just happened. She just got knocked out by Amanda. How do you just put her past Amanda Nunez? I don't see how you do that. Amanda's a two-division champion. She's a champ champ. How do you ignore <laughs> this all champ. of a sudden? You can't. You just can't. It's disingenuous is what it is. It's like, come on, man. Like, It's like when different networks won't acknowledge like, world champions. That's what that felt like. It's like, come on. You know Amanda just, just starts her. You can't just put her over her like that. Based on what? No, I agree. I think Amanda, in a short period of time, has established herself as the GOAT. Yeah. Right? There's, there's no one else with in that tiny amount of time, those names on the resume. 
And the Shevchenko name twice is incredible. It it is that's what I'm saying. Like she's got names. Women's MMA is like very short. Like there's there's not a, a long list of lineage of fighters who have made history. Like boxing has like this tremendous lineage of fighters. MMA is still relatively new. And if, if you have those names, of all the names that people say, oh, these are the greatest names, like Nunez. Nunez is be Rousey, Tate, Cyborg, Shevchenko. Well, shit. What's left? And seriously, it's a real question. Durandamy, Holly Holm. What's left? Who is left? Rocky Pennington. Who else does she need to be? <sighs> there. No one that's going to give her a chance. I'm trying to think. No one that's of her caliber. Not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. There's no one in that side. To me, all the talent is at 115, maybe 125. Maybe. Like, you can't add any better names. 115 has people maybe, like, that can move up. Shevchenko added Joanna to her resume. That's a good-ass win. I don't see anyone at 135, 145... That's even close to Nunez. Who is she going to fight? Holly Holm again? That's Who we just saw? Like, no, I don't, I don't see anyone in the UFC testing her. And that, that brings up another point. The UFC and Bellator, to this point, has to go and find new talent in terms of female fighters. UFC has done a better job with that. Like, they have Aspen Ladd. They have, um, oh, who's the chick who just lost? Macy Barber who just lost, who looked really promising. So some younger stars. What young stars does Bellator have? No, I mean, they, they have a few women, but they, they with women's MMA still being relatively young to the mainstream audience, it's hard to gain visibility. It's kind of like the flyweight division in the UFC. It's not a lot of talent there. Because, like, Demetrius Johnson ran roughshod over it for so long that it was like, all right, well, there's talent here. Like, there's Benavidez, but, you know, it's, it's hard. You have to establish him. It's going to take some time. There, there needs to be a new dynamic fighter that arrives on the scene. Like, you look at Kayla Harrison, you go, all right, that's the one. But now the problem is, Kayla fights in PFL. So she's not. it's just going to be hard for her to really build a resume until she fights a Nunez, a Cyborg, a Holm, a Durandamy. Because she's also big as shit. She's 145 pounds and then some. She's big. Yeah. And she might drag some of these women, but until they have these fights, they got they have to keep mining the field for talent. The Contender Series needs to get more women. Bellator needs to just kind of travel the world, go to Japan, go to Europe. Find there's gonna women are gonna pop up. It's just gonna take some time to build it. Like they need a farm system of sorts. Invicta was a good farm system for the UFC. Bellator needs something like that as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's how they built 145, right? They took Invicta's 145 before the UFC thought of creating a division. Exactly. And when they were still trying to have Cyborg cut. Hence, the UFC has no 145 division. Bellator kind of took that and made it their own. So, yeah, there's or there's always the opportunity of talking boxers to come over. Yes. Who knows? Uh, we also had UFC Fight Night that just happened this past weekend. Just two things to touch on there. RDA lost to Michael Chiesa. Kiesa calls out Kobe Covington. That fight, if made, will get my award for most boring fight this year. <laughs> I, I just feel it in my bones. Nothing but wrestling and laying on people. Nah, um, I don't think so. 
You don't think so? No. You think they'll stand and trade? Yes. That's what usually happens. We have two high-level wrestlers and grapplers. They end up striking. So it's just strike. It won't be the worst match. It may not be the best style-wise. It may not be pretty to look at. But usually fights that are ugly to look at when it comes to striking end up being kind of fun. Uh, looking at you, Stephen Bonner and Forrest Griffin. Like, that shit ends up being a, a brawl. So I don't think it'll be the worst fight. I will say this. I don't think Covington's the next fight for Kiesa. I think I think Kiesa needs another win. Like another, like a top 12 I think guy. he's four straight? He's yeah. undefeated at welterweight. Yeah, but he hasn't really fought anybody. Right? And Kiesa's like a giant. He's huge. Like, it wouldn't hurt him to get another win. Maybe like a, a Neil Magny or... Somebody like that before he gets a guy who was previously the interim champion. I mean, the UFC does stranger things. I wouldn't be mad if the fight was made. But I think Kiesa could get another fight. I think for me, the real question is, what do we do with RDA? He's too big for lightweight. He's too small for welterweight. Hmm. 65 would have been good. Would have been great. (laughs) But we talk about this all the time. There's no reason for Conor and Cowboy, if you're going to make it, to not have been the 165 title match. Or an eliminator, so maybe Masvidal and Connor could fight for the 165 belt, and then you move Usman up as the 175-pound champion. Problem solved, right? You would think. I, I don't get it. I don't get why there's so much bounce back against this. It makes too much sense. Is it because Dana didn't think of it first? I, I don't understand why he's not giving into that. It just, it's perfect. The fighters say they want it. Fans want it. You already give out a million interim belts, so we don't need the excuse that, oh, it'd be too many belts. You hand out interim belts like it's candy. I don't get why there's so much pushback on that. So hopefully that's one of the things we see change in 2020 and beyond, and they smarten up and add a couple more divisions. The other thing that came out of it was we had Blades versus Junior Dos Santos in the main event. Cool. To me, it was a toss-up. I thought JDS's hands might be the difference after watching Blades get knocked out by Ngannou twice. But the result was shocking in which Curtis Blades knocks out Junior Dos Santos with a nasty overhand right that led to the finish. And he didn't knock him out, but it was stopped. He poured it on him. And now Blades is right back in the title conversation but against, he wants to now jump Nganu, who's on a winning streak and who's knocked him out twice. And Daniel Cormier, who's sitting and waiting, all because there was a tweet from Stipe or a comment from Stipe saying, you know what, I really don't want to fight someone I fought already. I'll defend the belt, but only against someone new. I don't think a champion has that luxury. What do you say? A champion shouldn't have that luxury, but... <sighs> Curtis Blades got knocked out twice by Ngannou. I can't get past that. I just can't. Either you get, try to get that win back, or you go fight somebody else. You don't. You don't get a title shot. Like one, yes, Blades knocking out Dos Santos, big deal, big shocker. Junior's fault because he kept throwing that lead up and cut like a dummy because he thought he could catch Blades shooting, and Blades just smartened up. I was like, all right, cool. I'm still a heavyweight, so it's like this. these hands will hurt if I connect. So there you have it. Got knocked out. But to jump and fight Stipe next over in Ghana makes, like, to me, absolutely no sense. UFC shouldn't do that because, look, for Miocic, it's like you need to fight Cormier. That's it. And Blades, you need to go fight somebody else. And we got to see, I mean, we got to see what happens with Ngannou. He's got to fight next month against another surging heavyweight. So, 
Blaze, dude, yeah, you won a couple. You beat a former champion. That's cool, but you don't get to jump over a guy who knocked you out, knocked you ridiculous out twice. You don't get that opportunity. Oh no, no thanks. No, nah, in no one's world should he get that title opportunity. But are you? Okay with Stipe saying, you know what? I really don't want to fight Cormier. I beat him. I don't want no, to fight. No, I'm not. Gano. I beat him. That's no, no. Because look, you're the champ, and this is why sanctioning bodies, while they suck in boxing, they're important. You have to enforce the fact that that's the number one contender. You have to fight whoever the number one contender is. You get to pick your spot. Who are you? You hold the UFC's belt. The UFC tells you who you're going to fight next. They're the matchmakers. Furthermore. You're not even a star like that. How do you get to call your shot? And then finally, there's a trilogy there with you and Cormier. Both of you have knocked each other out. Why wouldn't you fight him again? Like, we all know that Cormier doesn't have many fights left in the UFC, and this could be his last one. Why wouldn't you give him that opportunity? He didn't have to fight you again. And he did. No, at all. At all. But he did make him wait like a year. And, you know, But regardless, like... If you're, you, you you have to run this back. You don't get to call your shot. Now, I think, yeah, Connor set a precedent that he could do that. But as the champion, you face whoever the, the top guy is. Whoever the UFC tells you to fight is who you fight. You don't get a say in that shit. And you know what? It's like a child. I don't care about your opinion. I don't like broccoli. You're going to eat this shit. That's what you're going to do. That's the number one contender's broccoli. You're going to eat it. Because I said so. <laughs> So Stipe Miocic is just like, yo, look, 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 you and Broccoli are like one and one. Somebody's got to come out on top, but I want corn. Nope, you're having Broccoli. You want to know why? This is, this is my house. This is my octagon. This is my table. That's my title that you have. You fight who I tell you to do. That's what Sean Shelby is there for. Is the He's the matchmaker. I I, I don't like fighting. I don't want to fight a guy that I fought already. No, you need to fight Cormier because he beat that ass the first time. Period. That's I don't I don't see how you get past that. That's crazy. No, I I don't know what's next for Stipe then. He's in a crossroads. It's Cormier. Is there a precedent to strip someone? No, he just has to fight who you say he's gonna have to fight if you're Dana White. Yeah, it's Cormier. It's like Cormier or nothing. That's it. There is or and maybe Cormier. Cormier does not look like he's going anywhere close to 205 ever again, by the way. No, absolutely not. Once he went back to heavyweight, being of, was he 41, 40, whatever age, like you're not cutting back down to 205. You're fighting a heavyweight. There is no question what fight should be next. It's, it's split. It's not like you beat him and he never beat you. He knocked you out. Out. And, this, and the rematch was closed before you stopped him. So come on, man. That's that prima donna shit don't fly with me. I don't like that shit at all. <laughs> Everyone wants to call their shot, man. That's just the way of the world now. Um, turning over to boxing, we had two fights this past weekend as well. Both disappointed me. One was Jarrett Hurd stepping in. For some reason, he didn't want the rematch after losing his titles to J-Rock. We just saw J-Rock be upset what a week ago, two weeks ago. We talked about that, and then now Jared Hurd comes out, and we're like, okay, let's see why he didn't want that. And he comes out saying he wants to work on some new things, some defensive strategies. He used the shoulder roll for like 8 of 12 rounds when he could have just stood there toe-to-toe with his opponent, who was never going to hurt him, and make a statement. 
And then he decides to open up in the 10th round and final round of the fight and drop the guy with 20 seconds left when he could have done that in the second round to the same effect. I don't know how this helps Jarrett Hurd at all. Who's who's in his camp telling him like, hey, this is the best way to change. What made him different in that division than the Arislandi Laras than some of the other guys was that big power, was the willingness to stand in there and trade. He's not as slick as other fighters. Tomorrow, Errol Spence can move up to 154 and beat this version of Jarrett Hurd. I'm not sure who's giving him this advice, but it was boring to watch for much of the fight. And then left a ton of open holes. I think other elite level competition can really take advantage of moving forward. You know, JC Lyon, you know, in a, you was who you was before you got here. That's Jared Hurd. Jared Hurd is a guy, uh, I don't know him personally. I've interviewed him a few times, but he feels like a, the type of guy who is trying to prove people wrong. And it ain't you. It's like a, uh, a pocket quarterback trying to say, yeah, I can scramble for 10. No, you can't. You're a pocket quarterback. Stay there. That's your job. Right? Like, Jared Hurd is a guy who came in, was a giant at 54, was a bully. And would just kind of walk down his opponents and then just pummel them. And then writers started saying, uh, that style won't last forever. It'll eventually catch up to you. And then Jared Hurst started listening to those naysayers. He was like, no, no, no. Because he would do it in his interviews. I can box too. I can box too. Yeah, watch. I can box too. That's why he split from his trainer. Because he wanted, it's not his trainer that told him he could box too. It's him telling people, I can do other things. I'm not one dimensional. And he kept saying it in every single interview. And then he tried to switch up. Because the J-Rock fight, if you watch the fight, that ain't the Jared Hurd that we know. That was the Jared Hurd who was trying to box with J-Rock. When it's like, dude, you was who you was before you got here. You are a pressure fighter, and that's what separated you from the pack. That's who you are. Now you're trying to show people you can box? I don't care. I don't give a shit. Show me what got you to the dance in the first place. Like, you should have a, a boxing box that's in your corner that says breaking case of emergency. Because when trouble, then if it catches up to you, he's like, okay, now I can use this. But if you're trying to prove, like, you're proving the point to nobody. I didn't enjoy that fight with Santana at all. And then to see him drop him in the 10th, because look, it wasn't like Jared Hurd was fighting just anybody. I know people was like, I've said it before, look good, like, win now, look good later. But it, it works when you're like Anthony Joshua fighting Andy Ruiz in a dangerous fight. There was no threat here. There was none. Box for two rounds. Show me how you can move around the ring for two rounds. All right, let's, now let's get this guy out of here so we can go home because I'm hungry. That's what you should have did. I, I That's was, it. Yeah, I, I agree. I him dropping him made me more upset. Yeah, it pissed me off because like you could have did this before, and now you got me here all night. There's so many goddamn combat sports <laughs> to watch. I got to watch this terrible fight, which you showed. Like, dog, that's not you. It never was you. You can't convince people that that's you. If Lamar Jackson next season doesn't break out of the pocket, and just stays there and throws passes. That's not you. That's not what got you here. It's not going to win you a Super Bowl or come close. Be who you are. And that's who you are. Add more wrinkles to your game and training camp. Show them in little flashes in a fight. But don't spend like seven rounds wasting my time with that bullshit. Because that's what that was. You wasted my time. <laughs> I agree. Like, really, when you're in there against a top-level fighter, you're throwing all this shit out the window. And you're just going to do what you know how to do. Yeah. So you're just wasting time in these fights. And then you go to the main event with Danny Garcia coming in. And he's fighting a guy who dyed his hair like three times during fight week. And honestly, shouldn't be in the ring. He's not the caliber of the people he's 
Danny Garcia is expecting to fight next. So it's a true tune-up fight. That being said, Danny Garcia goes in there and plays with his food as well. Like, he doesn't show anything that makes you look at him and be like, man, he's going to be a contender to one of these belts. Like, he's really going to go in there and give Pacquiao a fight. Or, man, it looks like he could really catch Errol Spence with something. Nothing last night made me feel that way. Nothing last night made me feel like he's deserving of a title shot. Sean Porter wrecks him again. Maybe worse if they fought. So I, I don't know what Danny Garcia was supposed to accomplish last night, but I feel like he came up short. Look, for anybody who's new to this podcast, you're going to learn this with my opinion Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia is one of the most frustrating fighters to watch. Adrian Broner is too, but Danny Garcia specifically. Because Danny Garcia fights a lot like Holly Holm in the UFC. He waits for the perfect counter. He takes advantage of aggressive fighters. But if aggressive fight, because what happened in Danny Garcia's career is his counter left, which became his calling card, was something that eventually fighters caught on to and was like, ah, I'm not going to run into that shit. So I'm not going to be as aggressive as I, as I usually would be. Ivan Red Catch was an aggressive fighter, knocked out Devin Alexander. A lot of guys that Danny Garcia has fought were aggressive until they fought him because they, now they know that he's an excellent counter puncher. So what does that mean? Because because when when they don't engage, now Danny's not doing anything. He's just standing there, flicking a jab, putting the right hand behind it. And Red Catch is like, I'm not going to engage and get caught with that shit. Sean Porter yep. is a different kind of pressure fighter. He's smart. The one thing that people, nobody ever gave Sean Porter credit for is how tricky he is when he finds his way inside. He doesn't just bull in there. He's very crafty and clever with his footwork. So it's not just stupid pressure. There's intelligent pressure. And a lot of fighters can't do that. So when you're not an intelligent pressure fighter, you end up standing on the outside and you just kind of pluck the jab. And Danny Garcia, yeah, he can outgun you. But that's not impressive. You have to force Danny Garcia to fight to get him to be impressive. Like Holly Holm, you have to force Holly to fight. And that's when she comes out of her shell. Otherwise, she's going to bore the shit out of you. Otherwise, Danny Garcia is going to fight to the level of his opponent. And against Mauricio Herrera, it almost cost him. Like Lucas Matisse, he looked phenomenal in that fight because Matisse didn't respect him. He ended up getting clipped quite a few times by that counter left. He's a good counter puncher. He, he's fat. Like if you watch Danny, it's impressive how well he's able to throw that left counter and the right as well because it's crisp and it's quick and it's accurate. But when that's not happening and the fighter's not coming in, he's just kind of staring at you. And yeah, you're right. He's not going to beat anybody like that. He should have went in that ring like, and not wasted my time like Jared Hurd did. Put his foot on the gas and got Red Catch <laughs> out of here. Like once he realized that Red Catch couldn't hurt him and Red Catch wasn't coming to engage in a firefight that he could take advantage of, that's when you as Danny Garcia in around seven rounds, because you know you want to punch your ticket to fight Errol Spence, you have to impress. Because right now, if I, like if I'm PBC, if I'm anybody, I, I want to see Sean Porter fight Errol Spence again before I want to see Danny Garcia. That left a nasty taste in my mouth. Nothing in that fight, like yeah. you said, makes me think that Danny Garcia can beat Errol Spence. Nothing in that fight makes me think he's an improved fighter. He's the same guy who is not entertaining unless you're engaging in a firefight with him. No, I, I agree. And it's just he, he didn't show me that he is the caliber of the people he's chasing. So it's like, all right, man, I'm, I'm already just kind of tuned out of it because it's I know the outcome at that point. Like, you're not as good as them. I, I'm just going to see you walk in there and lose. So that does nothing for me. Um, to wrap up the show, 
it'd be remiss if we didn't mention you're headed out to the zone card featuring Logan Paul. I'm just going to call him the headliner. He's not And completely Logan disrespect everyone else. It's Jake Paul. He's the headliner. Oh, excuse me, Jake, Jake Paul. Paul's I don't even know the difference. Jake Paul is the headliner this weekend. Uh, I hope that he loses to the other YouTube guy from the UK because that guy's funny. Yep. Yeah, well. Gibbs. So we shall see. But uh, also, we have Demetrius Andrade on that card. Uh, headlining it, we have Farmer versus Jojo Diaz. That's the fight. Which actually should be a good fight. Yeah, that's Look, that's a fight to watch. I don't want to throw my own company under the bus, but I'm about to. It's because, yes, I get it. Jake Paul and Anson Gibb, who, which is, if you spell it backwards, is Big Nose. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. You learn about this shit. Clever. This is what we do. Um that's a fight for the YouTube crowd, like the, the celebrity crowd. I get it. I totally get that fight. But it kind of exists on its own. Like, it should have its own pre-show, <laughs> like on YouTube. It should have its own everything. Um, Demetrius Andrade is one of the best middleweights in the world. And against Luke Keeler, he should kill this man. He might not. And I'm going to have a conversation with Andrade when I see him on Tuesday. Because he's got to impress. I say this all the time. You're not going to get Canelo's attention if you just keep winning crappy decisions where you're just completely outgunning your opponent. Does, nobody cares. It's boring. Canelo, Canelo said you're boring. Like, do something. But Tevin Farmer and Jojo Diaz, there's heat. There's a rivalry. There's a feud. There's the idea that if Tevin Farmer beats Jojo Diaz, that he wants Javante Davis. This is your, to me, this is your main event. That's my opinion. Demetrius Andre defending his title is not the main event because everybody expects him to win. Jojo Diaz is actually pretty good. Jojo Diaz could actually yes. possibly beat Tevin Farmer. I'm picking Tevin Farmer because Tevin Farmer's gotten a lot more skilled over the years. But this is a almost a 50-50 fight. Keeler Andre is not. Gibb and, and, and Paul is that's just that's like an exhibition. Even though it's a pro fight, but it means nothing in the grand scheme of things. Farmer Diaz has a lot. And then I mean I don't know, man. I, I I don't know. They're trying to push Andre, and I say they, but it's I'm part of the zone. We're trying to push Andre, make him the headliner. <laughs> cool, but Farmer Diaz is the fight. And I know Lou DiBella wasn't happy that like this fight isn't getting pushed like the other two, and he's right. I'm with him. I'll see all those guys this weekend. I'll be very vocal about it. If I'm on the broadcast, which I think I'm supposed to be on this weekend, we'll see what happens, Um, I'm going to be very clear that that's the main event. And if anybody doesn't like it, oh well. I'm being honest. That's the, that's the best. <laughs> no, but you look at it, and I get it. Andrade, you're trying to set him up for a Canelo fight, build him up to be an, a worthy adversary against Canelo, instead of building up Farmer to be an adversary in the B side to Tank Davis. You're trying to keep all the money in house and serving that purpose above building someone to go and get wrecked. Well, I mean, the the, the other side of the coin is this. If you're not going to immediately make the Farmer-Davis fight, if you're not going to work with PBC on that fight immediately, the idea of building Farmer's resume and portfolio and his visibility to make it seem like he should be challenging Javante Davis as the other title holder, that it's the, it's, it's the, uh, the perception is better than the reality. But if you're hiding him on the card, essentially, and not giving him the, uh, the exposure that he deserves, why would anybody care to see that fight? So, like, Tevin Farmer is a world champion. Tevin Farmer, like, if he doesn't fight Tank Davis in the next 12 months, but he keeps winning, 
you can still call people out. It's like Terrence Crawford beating up people, and then he can go, these fools don't want to fight me. Even if it's not true. Even if it's Errol and all, yeah, we want to fight him, but the fact the fight hasn't made yet gives that some juice. So Tevin continues to win in main event situations. He was like, Javante don't want to fight me. Somebody's going to believe Tevin Farmer. Like, you're right. Javante don't want to fight him. Could be totally wrong. <laughs> Sooner or later. But there's some, the perception is greater than reality. But the perception right now is nobody cares about Tevin Farmer because he's buried on this card, which is, it's a really good card, and but he's buried under, you're, you're treating Andre like the superstar when nobody really cares about Andre. And I like him. He's a good dude. He's funny. There's a lot of things about like about Boo Boo. But until you're knocking people out or until you're like, like Luke Hill is just, he's not the guy as the opponent. I think he's like 13 and two or something like that. He's just not the guy. Yeah. Watch Keeler fight. Like, Keeler's not that good. Andre should steamroll him. But he might not. And that's going to leave a sour taste in <laughs> everybody's mouth if he just puts on a boxing clinic and bores everybody's sleep. Just like we saw this past weekend with Hurd and Garcia. If you do that, it's not going to improve your position with anybody. No, I definitely agree. So, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out this week. And we'll recap all that next week. We want to thank all you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Combining these two shows together for this week. Of course, tune in Friday for our wrestling show. Ton to talk about Royal Rumble, uh, NXT Worlds Collide, AEW. Plenty of stuff to talk about in the world of pro wrestling. Make sure you guys follow us on social media. Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter. Me at Cal Dansby. Him at Andres Hale. Until our next show, we're out. Peace. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.